Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with Neil Dolan, Head of Operations at Madame Tussauds London. We'll talk about Neil's experience of switching the attraction from a predominantly international market to a domestic, how they've heavily invested in the experience, and what cocktail making has to do with all of this. If you like what you hear, subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's really, it's really lovely to see you. No, it's great. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on. No, we're really looking forward to it. Good. Well, you might not say that after we've done the icebreaker question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's go straight in. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be? There's always this. Um, I always have to do this comparison in my head that um, because I think when I was probably ten, I got to go to Disneyland for the first time and um absolutely absolutely loved it and became that sort of kid that every year just almost like we're going back to Disneyland we're going back to Disneyland and um it was almost that amazing that amazing moment I remember when I was uh when I was a child and then me and my partner went again before we had a child and it was still just as as amazing um so whenever me and my partner are talking about a holiday we use almost Disney as the par <laughs> doesn't matter if we're going to the most luxurious resort we always talk about, but the first time we get to take him to Disneyland. Oh, because that magic is just, oh, it's just awesome. How, how old are your, your, you have children? Yes, I've got a son who'll be three in April. Um, okay. So I, I actually spent a good three hours of my night last night sleeping on his bedroom floor. Just oh, so, gosh. <laughs> I'm so with you on Disney. I think it is just the most magical place. Your child is three now. What age do you think that you're going to, what, what age are you like waiting until, until they're ready to go? We, we kind of were, and this is where we were a little bit selfish, because we were almost like, how tall will he be <laughs> when he's six? How tall will he be when he's seven? And does that mean we can go on these rides? I think it does. So we're kind of like, we want to have that perfect, because when, when you're there, you see all those like amazing like play areas that they can play in when they're really, really young. But we almost want that that magical age where they really associate everything with the films. Mm. And then when you, you almost walk through the gates at Magic Kingdom for the first time, they kind of get what it is. Yeah. And like that, that amazing look on the face is kind of what we're aiming for. So we think probably six or seven. We have just had this same debate, but I've actually had it with my, my, with my parents because they're massive Disney fans as well. Right. Um, and they turned 70 this year. And so Edie is nearly eight months old now. And they're like, well, so we're thinking five because then we'll be 75 and we won't be like too old that we won't enjoy it still. And I'm like, well, okay, I get it. But also that's a bit selfish. And we're like... got the same train of thought. Like, <laughs> everybody is absolutely got themselves at the forefront because it's just, it doesn't matter how old you are. It's just such a great place. No, and I'm five foot two and Lee's only about five foot eight. So she, there's no hope that she's going to be like a tall grower at all. So we're, yeah, I think six is all right. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's so weird that we've all had the same chat about that. Okay, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I, I actually read through my primary school yearbook uh, about three, four months ago. And I read, we got asked the same question. And I've played, um, I've played ice hockey for about 25 years. And I was really specific. There's a, there's a team called uh, Colorado Avalanche. And I wrote in my yearbooks, I wanted to be the left defender for the Colorado Avalanche. Wow. And I was like, that's a really specific you know, position and team and everything. Um, so, yeah, for years, I wanted to be a professional ice hockey player. Oh, my goodness. And, but, you, but you still play. So you got to a, a certain point. 
Yeah, still play, played when I was at university, um, played for the, the Edinburgh team for, for a year, and um, it was significantly detrimental to my studies. <laughs> um, and uh, so I continued to play, play, you know, for fun when I was at university. And then when I moved to London, there's not as many ice rinks and the more difficult to get to. And I, I played a little bit in, in Streatham when I lived in Earlsfield. And I had to get two night buses back from Streatham at sort of half past midnight. And I thought, maybe I'll wait until I move somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so I play with a, a team in Slack, which is which is great. It's just a good bunch of guys, you know, having a laugh. So it is absolutely brilliant to go and watch. Yeah. And quite brutal as well. I quite like that. Yeah. They're, they're, and everyone always says, you know, were you one of the people that was absolutely brutal? And in my head, I want to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> as much as I would love to to hold that up I, I I was not that guy okay it's good that you're still doing it though I love how niche that was um okay <laughs> what show on Netflix did you binge watch embarrassingly fast um embarrassingly fast the the one it's probably not so much embarrassing but the one which is almost like one of those golden nuggets was there was a show called Lilyhammer that was um it's like six years ago or so which was like a like a comedy, a dark comedy drama about a mob boss who um, becomes an informant in America, then goes to live in Lillehammer because they hosted the Winter Olympics in the 90s. And it's the actor from The Sopranos whose name always, always escapes me. But it's one of those embarrassing things that I can never do it justice. So whenever I try and explain it to someone, they think that sounds terrible. It's like an awful show. <laughs> it's not something um, that I've watched. I have but to it's, so, it's so funny. Like if you're into that kind of dark like dark sarcastic humor it's honestly brilliant um, all right whether or not it's still on netflix or not but i'm gonna add probably. that to my list that wasn't it wasn't as embarrassing as i was expecting it to be i mean mine's cobra kai which is i mean that's pretty embarrassing <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> i got a little bit obsessed with cobra kai um well, okay uh what is your unpopular opinion uh so i kind of this is probably the most difficult one to think of actually but i think it's probably that i i kind of think that the sunday roast is overrated what I think I would prefer to have an expertly made pizza than a Sunday roast because I, I think they look better. I think the product looks amazing on Instagram and there are very good Sunday roasts, but the effort to make a Sunday roast, I, I know, I just, I just don't think, I don't think the hype oh, is. is <laughs> I can't agree with you on this. I mean, a, a Sunday <laughs> roast is like my favorite, and I love pizza, don't get me wrong, but a, fa- a Sunday roast is my favorite meal of the whole week. It is a lot of effort. I know what you're saying to cook it all, and then suddenly, and it's gone really quickly, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But, it is. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listeners, tweet me. Let me know what you feel about that. I reckon I might get some might get some stick about that, Neil. <laughs> okay, Neil, you began as head of operations at Madame Tussauds in December 2020, which must have been <laughs> quite an interesting time to start a new job. I can imagine. Yeah, it was um, my first day at Madame Tussauds was actually the first day of lockdown three. I basically didn't get to meet anyone. In fact, the first conversations I had with my t- new team was almost telling them about, you know, furlough coming back. So it, it began this really weird sort of phase where I, I was in the role for quite a long time, but I just hadn't, hadn't really met anyone. There was only, you know, a very small number of people who were, who were still working. Unfortunately, we had sort of weekly Zoom calls where I kind of got to meet some of the team and get to know people to, to an extent, but it was nowhere near as, as good as it is when you actually get to go in and meet people for the first time and, and get to understand who people are, what makes them tick and actually get to know people. 
Yeah. So it was a, it was a really, really, really bizarre time. But in many ways, it was quite, um, quite exciting because I almost got to look at everything while, while you're closed. You got to look at almost the bare basics, which you don't always get to do when you're, you're sort of caught up in, I guess, the business as usual, the, the normal trading. So yeah. Yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you're looking at it from the perspective, well, okay, well, no one can come anyway. So actually, this is kind of like a, almost like a blank canvas, so to speak, to see where mm. where the, the pitfalls are or the challenges are or what's working well and what isn't working well. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so fortunate here because the team I've got are, are incredible. And um, what I knew in the very, I mean, we're talking days where I got to um, speak to some people, the the I guess the passion that the people who work at Madame Tussauds have for Madame Tussauds was, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. They're so, they're so in love with this place. It's very difficult to, to get people to be passionate about something that they may not be, but that passion was kind of already there. So when I started, I was like, well, I don't have to worry about that because they're already like so, so far gone. They just, they, they absolutely love what they're doing. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of kind of, you, you didn't have to be really motivational for them. You didn't have to kind of. Absolutely not. No, because they, 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 they have that. We've, we've got some people who, who are in my team that have been here for 30 years and they just love their job. And when you, when you get to sit down and speak to them about, you know, what, what is it that they love? They, they just are like, well, I just, I just love this place. I've, I've always worked here. You're like, that's, that's so nice to hear. So you don't always get that in um, sort of new establishments or, or I guess different sectors yeah oh, that's really lovely isn't it I guess I guess that kind of helped with some of the things that we're going to talk about as well because you've got been through some quite big changes haven't you so you know one of the things that that you needed to do was make you know quite a significant switch in terms of who your audience was because you know you've you've gone from predominantly being an having an international market to domestic because they're international travel like where do you even start with that yeah, so we um we were a little bit unique, I guess, in in comparison to some of the market because just before one of the lockdowns, there'd already been some plans for some, I guess, some uh, renovations and some some investment, and there was probably like a stop go time where, you know, the decision was made: do we do we keep investing, given all the challenges that are, are going to come, and you know, cash flow being such a uh, such a topic amongst our industry in particular, and. What was really nice when it came was, you know, the, the view was we need to invest in the product. We need to invest in the experience. So we, we almost went the opposite way. So rather than kind of going into a shell of we need to be really conservative, it was we need to invest back in the experience because, you know, London's one of those places that tourism will bounce back because London as a city is just such, a, such an amazing place. And Madame Tussauds, London such an institution um, that... I think there is there's good confidence that once the the markets are back that that they'll they'll come back when when they're back in the in the, in the city. But to get that domestic side, it was almost to think about well, what is it that what is it maybe that domestics think or what is it domestics are passionate about and try and tailor what the investment we were going to do to to ensure that we were speaking to them. So when we reopened, we we launched our new awards party and we we had the and we'd moved Harry and Meghan, which was the um, the press sort of jumped at because originally they were with um, the royals in our, our sort of royal area. And then when they decided to take a, a different step down from senior royals, we moved them into our new awards party area to be with, you know, the likes of your, uh, 
your Leonardo DiCaprio's and you know Dwayne Johnson's. And that PR hook that we got was was amazing because we were then able to speak to our domestic audience of look what we're doing at Madame Tussauds, look what you can come and see, come and see what's on your doorstep. Yeah. Um, and that was you know that was the first thing that we did when we reopened that we would have probably done anyway. But the message we were trying to get to people is this attraction has always been here. And now it's probably going to be slightly quieter. So even better, come come and enjoy. It's funny, isn't it? Because I guess like that's it's you've had to go through changing the perception of what Madame Tussauds is for the domestic market. Because I think like, I mean, I've been there. I've been I mean, years ago with my parents. I can remember it. I've got my novelty eraser from there. I've got it. I've got it right <laughs> next to me. <laughs> I've got my rubber from, from Madame Tussauds for my collection. Um but it, it, but in my head, I do see it as a as a tourist destination. I, it, it, you know, it, it's it's somewhere that I would love to take my daughter one day for her to experience it. But it's it's changing that perception in what if, of what it is in people's heads, isn't it? And that's quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and it, it it's come with it's come with it some with some challenges. And and kind of going back to the the benefit that I had of um of being able to I guess look under the bonnet when I started was there was probably some things that as a team that we focused on quite heavily um, when we reopened that have have probably um, gone to benefit, I guess, that domestic market to maybe see a different side of us. So we were very, um, when we reopened, we were very much like experience, experience, customer service, customer service. And what has been really, really nice is that we've, we've probably, I guess, focused quite a lot on what our external reviews are looking like. And, you know, we, we don't have to, um, shy away from the fact that we probably had a reputation for cues. You know, everyone used to talk about Madame Tussauds has got loads of cues. So we're very much focusing on let's get let's get that reputation down about us having cues and being and being crowded. And what's been really nice that because we've done that focus and ultimately, um, I guess, simplify it a little bit, make things a lot easier. We've seen our review scores go up. We've seen the theme of our reviews completely change, and that's really good because when domestics are looking at reviews, they're rightly seeing that there are there are long queues and it's overcrowded and I guess by by us taking a step back looking at okay why 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 is that the case we've actually been we're in such a better place and that the fact that that's now showing in our reviews is is great because you can do all the marketing you want in the world but if your advocacy is not strong enough or people go on to you know google reviews and have a look at what people are saying and you know it's all negative people won't won't go there just talk us through a little bit what you did there, because because the queue issue is a big issue to, to address. What did you put in place to make that that better? So we've, we've always had um, like almost a time ticketing system. Um, you know, it, it probably improved sort of over the sort of 2017 to 2019. But there were some technological challenges we still had where there were some guests who, you know, still had the old school paper voucher who then had to come to the attraction to exchange that, to then get a time ticket, to then almost come back later. So already that guest has had this really mixed experience because it's not their fault. They, they've already bought their ticket from someone. And then the system has then almost said, well, yeah, but you have to come back later and queue again. So that already is, is completely confusing and is, is uh, a bad experience, you know, potentially because we are quite an international audience. If that person doesn't speak English particularly well, it's even more frustrating. Yeah. So when we when we reopened, we um, we worked really hard with our our partners so that everyone who books through, I guess even a, through a third party, has a ticket that they only have to queue once that has a time on it with very clear information 
So we almost, instead of having, I guess, the bulk of our guests turning up, you know, within, I guess, the two to three hours in the, in the middle of the day, when everyone tends to go to, to attractions, just spreading them out through the day means that there's less queues, there's less people going into the building. It's just a better experience. And it sounds really simple, but, you know, the pandemic was horrible for so many reasons. But in some ways for, I guess, the technology side, businesses had to adapt and we had to do things better. And that, that's been a massive change for us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've, we've had this conversation numerous times on, on the podcast about pre-booking and, and the benefits of it and why most will want to keep it, you know, past the pandemic pandemic yeah. as well. How does it work with the international audience for you? Would, would people predominantly buy tickets in advance or would you more walk up attraction? I guess, again, that's kind of changed. So we, we've seen it change at the moment since the pandemic. So we used to do you know, quite a lot of tickets from, from a walk-up perspective. Um, and we do a good proportion on, online. And because we are quite um, internationally um, heavy in, in some respects, we would do a lot through sort of third parties and, and through the trade industry. Um, what we've kind of seen at the moment is there's been a massive swing from sort of walk-up tickets to, to online booking. Um, okay. And I think that's probably, it's difficult to draw a conclusion from it because it's very domestic heavy at the moment. And we're just so used to doing that. It's almost ingrained. In fact, I pre-booked to go to the swimming pool the other day. Which, oh yeah, know, I, yeah. Years I ago, you just wouldn't do. You just turn up with your armband. <laughs> yeah. Again. Or I turn up with my armbands anyway. Um, I mean, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, we are. I mean, absolutely. In some ways, it's that's really helpful because it allows you to make sure that you've got the right resource in. It allows you to plan throughout the day properly. You don't always get caught off guard. So again, it's, it's a massive benefit for us to be able to actually manage the experience. Whereas if you you know walk up is great, and it's I don't think it's anything we would ever stop doing. But if you get a massive surge of of, of people who just turn up on the day you, you could be caught off guard and that's that can, again can be detrimental so that's an interesting question is it so how how much of your market did you lose overnight so what what did it go from well it was we're we're probably the majority international and even the the minority domestics that we had before there was a good proportion of that were schools so you almost turned off the majority of our market and then you of the domestic market, we lost the, the school booking because they they weren't doing that that either. And that's not just for us; that's almost for for London that these people just weren't there. In fact, I, I walked through Covent Garden on was it two Fridays ago on a Friday night, and it was it was dead. Wow! And you just think that there's I don't know six million tourists or whatever it is that comes in a short period of time that just aren't in in, in the city. So we knew it was going to be. Um, challenging and we knew in particular it was going to be challenging in the times when schools weren't weren't off because you're you're more reliant on I guess sort of um overnight uh, you know couples or families who 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 aren't in school so people with really really young children so just uh you're just a really tough position to to be in thinking about what you said about the pre-booking and 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 you would you know you're always going to welcome walk-ups as well I think that's kind of the nature of like where you're located and what and what you do and the, and the market that you have how did you kind of counter that so for example you know if you if you're going to keep pre-booking and you're still going to keep the time slots where you've got people and then you get an influx of people that just want to come on that day for those times how are you going to keep the experience as good as it is now when that market comes back and that shift happens yeah, so I mean, a big part of it is is communicate. A lot of it is communicating to our guests really, really, really clearly. So the benefits of um, almost like a high percentage pre-booked model is you can kind of get in in the morning and know where your where your full slots are. And what is 
what we've kind of got into a, a good position of, of doing now when we know we've got capacity challenges and you know i'm hoping that you know you want to have capacity challenges in some instance because it means mm-hmm. you're, you're you're busy is, is being quite honest and telling people so i know certainly when i was in a um, my previous role at the, the london eye when we had a busy day and it was almost sold out we would put it on the website or we would maybe put it on twitter or tell people and try and tell people in advance as, as best you can mm-hmm. what we kind of did and this weekend was a good example of it where we were um really busy was that we um we just made the decision that we'll just we'll just stay open for a little bit longer and we can add we can add additional availability after we would have closed. So for anyone who does turn up, we keep the doors open a little bit longer because we don't want them to go go away disappointed. You know, from a business perspective, we want to capitalize when when there's people there to to, to buy the ticket. Um, and I would I would like to think we probably would have done that before, but I think certainly this post COVID you know rebuilding time, you know we we've been trialing lots of of different things and thinking probably a lot more differently than we probably would have less rigid I suppose that was going to be one of my questions and like just to go back to address that about staying open longer that's really surprising for me because I would have expect I wouldn't have expected that level of flexibility from uh, such a large attraction um you know because that's okay you you make the decision are we going to stay open an hour later tonight that's a lot of people that you've got to get to agree to to do that isn't it that's like that's really great it is. And this is, again, going back to my comment about the team here, like they, they just, they genuinely just love this place and they, they love it when it's really busy. And that's, um, I think that's probably anyone who's an operator, you know, as much as they think, oh, I'm really tired after that peak period. As soon as the, the off-peak period comes, they're like, oh, I wish it was peak again. Yeah. <laughs> um, the credit of that needs to go to my, my team of management because they've got that relationship with the team that the team also know it's more beneficial because they would rather we were open a little bit longer rather than us trying to put more people through the doors, uh, you know, because that could be the other way of doing it. But then going back to that whole point of you need to protect the experience to improve your advocacy, to, to, to make the business more appealing. The team, we're, we're very honest with our team in terms of what our strategy is. And our strategy is we need to maintain the experience. And it was one of those proud moments, actually, when one of the team messages say we're going to stay open later because we're really busy. I was like, that's awesome. You know, and that's, almost them feeling that they're empowered to make that decision I was just like that's great do it that is lovely you've done your job well that's it you, like you say you've empowered them to, to do that and that's at the benefit for the of the visitors as well mm. that's, that's really fantastic I was genuinely really surprised by that um you mentioned doing things differently and that was one of the, th- the questions that I had for you is like have you you know some some of the benefits of the pandemic for for organizations is that we've had to think really quickly and change what we're doing and and take chances on stuff you know are there things that you'd you've tried that you previously wouldn't have thought about yeah so we one of the phrases that i used a couple of times was um you know let's try it because if it's five percent wrong it's five percent of you know not a lot um whereas if you do it in sort of summer peak period in normal times you know that could be quite you know it could be quite quite massive so we did um we tried different promotions. We we tried you know different pricing strategies. Um, we tried new products. So we did a product where you know our last year the, the the sort of last hour of the day tended to be the quietest. So we did a, a product with a um, with a gin company that would be almost a discounted ticket, and someone got a a um, a free sort of free glass of this cocktail that was made. And um, you know normally you wouldn't have been able to do it because you'd be so nervous that we want to too many people buy it. We won't be able to serve the cocktails enough, Like, who's going to make the cocktail. 
And in the end, we thought, yo, we'll just make it work. It'll be fine. So we ended up doing, we did like a cocktail making class. At Madame Tussauds? Like yeah, at... they came in, they taught That's us really how to cool. make a cocktail. And then, you know, members of our frontline team, if, if, they were, if they were happy to do it, the last hour of the day, they, it was called Fame and Fizz. And they were on the Fame and Fizz position where they had to make cocktails for people who bought this, who bought nice. this ticket. And if I'm honest, we wouldn't have done it before because you, I think everybody was probably in that mindset. It's like, well, it wouldn't work because operationally it wouldn't work. No one would ever, no one would be able to tell you why. And I was always guilty for it. You know, if I if I went back a good few years, I probably would have said the same thing. But we thought, oh, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And it was, you know, it, it was it was good for what it was. It was a good, and you know, the guests obviously loved it because who doesn't like a cocktail? I mean, who doesn't love a cocktail? And if you're going crazy, <laughs> like one of those crazy people that like pizza over roast dinners. <laughs> so so that's quite. It's quite liberating to try new things, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, you know, let's just give it a go and see what happens. Do you feel like you can embrace that now with things going back to normal? Do you think that they'll, you'll still have the opportunity to try different things? Yeah, I think, I think you have to. And I think it's been, it's, again, it's one of those things that we, I'm going to put enjoyed in a, in, a, in a certain way because for some of the team, they'll be like, oh, that's another idea. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but again, it's almost that point of, you know, what, what have you got to lose? And you know what, if it's a success, then amazing. You know, we'll, we'll ride that success throughout. And the, the important thing with all of, even with the things that don't work, what we've made a really conscious effort of is make sure that we almost document why it doesn't work and keep that somewhere really, really available. Because the worst thing for, and if I, if I use the example of some of the team that have been here for, for 30 years, they probably will have seen the same thing tried over and over again. And it's never fair for those people to, for them to provide almost experience of why something hasn't worked. And for someone to go, yeah, but you're just, you know, you're just, it's just being naysayer. And actually sometimes it hasn't worked for very good reason, but sometimes, you know, with, with turnover, people don't remember why. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's been, that's been, if there's anything from the last, certainly from the last year, it's that just trying things and seeing what happens. And if it doesn't work, just don't try it again. Yeah, and uh, that's, we'll keep doing that. I like that idea of documenting it because you could get that you could get into that situation where you just think someone's been a bit of a Debbie Downer, but mm. actually no, 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 you have tried this before. Let we me tried get one book out and tell you exactly why this yeah. didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm intrigued to know what other crazy ideas might be up your sleeves. <laughs> I bet your team is quite intrigued as well. Yeah, they just they tend to when I sort of open my door, they kind of just about their eyes. So. <laughs> what um, so what about your marketing? Have you so you would have had to have made quite a, a significant switch in terms of what you were doing in, in with your marketing because domestic and international audiences you, you would market to them in a completely different way what what was that shift what did you what did you change so there, there was there was some similarities you know we would still have uh, certainly in the peak periods we still had an element of out of home you know we would still do your more traditional sort of location advertising um but when you don't have that almost uh, speaking about London, because you don't have all of the internationals in the city, you can't really focus on that sort of location domination in the same way because you're talking to not that many people. And that kind of marketing is just incredibly expensive. So when we were looking at, okay, so we've got an element of which are going to be day trippers. So we need to be speaking to them either um, through social media, which everybody uses more than anything else in the world now, and to an extent PR. But you also need that reach of, um, you know, working with the right partners because we want to be speaking to probably people in the northeast of England and people in the, the southwest of England, people in Scotland, because we want 
we want them to come to Madame Tussauds when they're, when they're in London. And that's kind of half the battle. But the other half, which was, you know, incredibly difficult for us to, it wasn't something we could do by ourselves. was, was getting, uh, getting involved in the, you know, let's do London campaign. Because what kind of came out of the pandemic was this buildup of demand amongst the domestic market who couldn't go abroad. But then the coastal areas did incredibly well. I mean, Cornwall, I don't think will have ever recovered from the (laughs) influx of people that that it had. But everything you saw in the news was, you know, the underground is unsafe. There's too many people. It's too busy. When actually it was the complete opposite. London was, was dead. There was, there was just no one, no one around. So we, Whereas we would normally never have done it, a lot of what we were trying to say to people was, you know, we're safe. Here's the measures that we've got in place. You know, we we know what we're doing. The um, good to go thing was was a was a great initiative that we could we could shout about. Um, so we were rather than always talking about the product, we had to do an element where we were talking about, I guess, the health and safety side. And a lot of that again was was done through PR. Was was trying to um, when we did have these launches, trying to caveat a bit of both like come and see this amazing figure we've preserved we've preserved the experience it's absolutely safe we can't wait to see it yeah it's interesting isn't it like the couple of times that I went into London during the pandemic I just thought London was really lovely (laughs) oh it was so nice just walking around no one was bumping into you (laughs) I could get a seat on the tube it was glorious didn't I wasn't in anyone's armpit <laughs> that should be the marketing campaign. That's yeah, that the marketing campaign. Come, come now, you won't be in anyone's armpit on the <laughs> um, So what? What next? So international travel is resuming. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you were really busy this weekend, which is mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. So what is next for Madame Tussauds? What can we What can we see on the on the horizon? A couple of things, really. So some of it is the learnings that we've taken from from having a you know a domestic focus is is not to lose it because what's been I guess what's been really reassuring is that we've, and if it wasn't probably for the, I guess, the Omicron variant over, over Christmas, we'd probably be further down a recovery in London than, than we are because, you know, October half term last year was really promising. And we've learned a lot about, you know, what it is that domestics like about the product. We've learned a lot about what, what is hopefully driving domestics here. So we'll, the main thing that we're going to do is to keep that focus because we, we don't want to drop it. Um, for us, that, that investment continues. Um, we're we're continuing to invest in the product. So we've got our brand new music zone, which will open for Easter, which is going to be incredibly, incredibly exciting. We had um, Zendaya launch in uh, in February, you know, which has been been received in, incredibly well. Um, we had a doc, we did a documentary. That was the other thing we did last year, um, Madame Tussauds documentary, where it was it was talked about that the the return of the Chamber of Horrors will come back to Madame Tussauds. Wow. Um, so you know, that product focus, you know, is 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 going to stay, um, because if it's one thing that I think we certainly learned from the pandemic is that you, you can never take your experience for for granted, um, because your know, market share is not guaranteed and advocacy is not guaranteed, and we've been probably really proud of the fact that we've not been scared away from our plans, because what guests are telling us, and it's also great for the team here because they're seeing. And, um, you know, great amounts of investment and areas of building just looking amazing. Like our new awards party is just so, so good. That that continued investment, that continued focus on PR, that continued focus on the experience will do us absolute wonders when internationals come back. And we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, one of our, um, I guess, target audiences being sort of families with 
sort of younger to middle teens who come, you know, just as a you know, really getting excited about, about celebrities. We talk a lot about we really want to show how amazing this is because we then want those teens to come back with their families later on. And that continual um, evolution of, you know, because celebrity landscape changes all the time. That continual change in Madame Tussauds is important because we need to reflect what the landscape is and, you know, who knows what it'll look like in five, five or six years. So that's something we've been, we're, we're very aware of and something we're going to have to, um, I guess, keep an eye on as, as time goes on. Um, because as, as, we've, uh, as we found, I think it was in 2020, there was a petition from people to not take away the One Direction figures. Oh. <laughs> people are really passionate about our product as well. So we, wow. we have to, um, we have to uh, take what, what's, what's being said seriously. Yeah, gosh. I mean, people do get really upset about things, don't they? I hadn't thought One, about One that. Direction is a, is a very, very passionate, passionate subject. Are they still there or did you take them away? My, One Direction is, um, they were in our music zone just now, um, which will launch, as I said, will be for Easter. Um, they may or may not be there when we open, but we, <laughs> we're always, um, we'll, see, we'll see what the public say. They're gone, but not forgotten. Never forgotten. Never, Never forgotten. <laughs> Neil, thank you so much. This has been such an enjoyable talk. Uh, thanks for coming on and sharing everything that you've been through. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, I can imagine. We're at the end of the podcast and I always ask our guests to share a book that they love. So something personal, something work-related, just something that you really enjoy that you think our listeners might as well. Particularly when I was coming to work, I guess, during, during the first, the third lockdown. I get a lockdown's confused now. You know, when you've when you've been at work, and I, you always use like the train journey to kind of switch off from, from work. As I said, my son is absolutely absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs to the point where, by by virtue, now I am obsessed with dinosaurs. <laughs> so I, I spent a good part of those train journeys reading Jurassic Park books because I'd never read them before. I'd watched the films hundreds of times, but I'd never read the books. And I used to do this, and my partner was probably sick of me talking about it. I just basically go home and tell her about what I'd read in Jurassic Park. And it's such, and it was such a good way to switch off because, you know, particularly when when you've got a little one, you definitely need that separation of work and work and home. And that was almost the transition, where my my son, who was, um, pretty good at talking, but was correcting me on dinosaur pronunciation, when they were sort of two years old. Was where, where was does a, this come from? Because we've got, I mean. It- Edie's too young for this right now, but I, I really liked dinosaurs when I was a kid. But our friend's little boy is obsessed, like obsessed with dinosaurs. Knows all of the complicated words that I can't even pronounce. Yeah. I have no idea where it's come from. No, I don't. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But yeah, being corrected by a two-year-old was... was <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what a Zuniceratops was, but when I Googled it and I was like, he's right. Okay. <laughs> I'll take Blow, that one away. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, so we're recommending the Jurassic Park books. This is so Absolutely. great. Oh, I love Absolutely. this. Okay. Well, look, listeners, if you want to win Neil's books, then if you head over to our Twitter account and you retweet this um, episode announcement with the words, I want Neil's books, then you may be lucky enough to win them. Who knows? Hmm. Neil, thank you. That's been it's been a really lovely chat. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to Paul Griffiths of um, Paynes Hill Park, who put me in touch with you in the first place after I put my little shout out about my novelty rubbers. <laughs> and let's try, <laughs> let's try and get all of the attractions on the podcast. Um, I'm very that. pleased you did because it was a really great chat. So thank you. No, thanks for having me on. It's been great. It's been really enjoyable. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. 
And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.